Welcome to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin, and my guest uh, is one of my favorite lawyers, <laughs> one of my favorite prophets, and the author of a new book called Lessons from North Carolina, Race, Religion, Tribe, and the Future of America. And as you might have guessed, uh, my, my guest is Gene Nickel, a professor at the School of Law of the University of North Carolina. Gene, welcome. Thank you very much, D.G. I'm uh, delighted to be here. And it's great to sit in a room with an old friend. Well, it's it's certainly great for me uh, to uh, to have had your friendship and not have done very much to earn it. I, but I sure enjoyed it. I want to talk we about. We could disagree on that. So. <laughs> I want to talk. I want you to talk a little bit about your new book, "Lessons from North Carolina." And uh, Gene, you've 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 been preaching to us. What what? Why did you feel like you needed to write a, a book? <laughs> I always bristle a little bit at that preaching business, but I, I no. Well, now you know I, I call you a prophet, no, I know, I and know. I'm calling you a prophet because you are unafraid. Well, about. okay, Here, uh, I, and I maybe we could say I'm Johnny One Note. <laughs> I've, been, I've been I've been harping on this stuff for some years. Uh, the 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 thing about the preaching uh, or the pulpit, which I warm to too, but. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I'm not exactly a holy <laughs> sort, so I try to back off from that uh, a little bit. But uh, I have uh, written a new book, um, and it's uh, uh, it's not completely unrelated to things I've done before. I, you know, the last couple of books I've done in recent years have dealt with poverty in North Carolina, and then uh, I wrote a book about the General Assembly. And these are themes in this one as well, but but this involves an array of other issues, a sort of set of judgments about uh, what seems to be working for us and what doesn't seem to be working for us. Uh, it has, uh, it's much more personal than the other books that I've done, so it touches on uh, some of the challenges that I've faced in North Carolina the last uh, 15 years. Uh, and uh, so uh, I had uh, an array of things that I wanted to say about this venture that has taken North Carolina from being sort of a moderate or seen as a moderate beacon of Southern progress to now what the New York Times refers to as uh, a pioneer in bigotry. Um, the changes that have uh, resulted here uh, since 2010, 2012, uh, I think they're immensely worrisome and harmful to the state. And can you give, illustrate yeah, or, or, sure. or so, give us an idea of what you're talking I about? Was, uh, I was thinking about this. The, the, when you think about where to start, um, uh, you know, Lily Tomlin said uh, some years ago, and I love Lily Tomlin, that uh, – uh, no matter how cynical I get, I can't keep up. So <laughs> I feel a little bit like that. It's kind of rough to tell where to start. But in truth, I think, um, as is often the case in North Carolina, you start with race. When you when you explore, or you study, or you think about our relationships to democracy and uh, civil rights and to engage in the entire broad community, we often turn to questions of race. And looking back at these last 
dozen years here. You know this uh, as well as I do. We have a legislative agenda that has given us the what the federal courts have said are the largest and most unacceptable racial gerrymanders uh, ever presented to a federal court. The harshest voter suppression law, uh, uh, laws, uh, often racially driven, uh, the biggest, most uh, potent and obvious political gerrymanders uh, enacted by uh, uh, American General Assembly. Um, the courts have told us that they have changed our election laws with, quote, surgical precision uh, to uh, burden uh, black voters. They reversed the Racial Justice Act. They have made it harder. You know, we've had the Black Lives Matter movement and, and it's our reaction to it here. Our folks have made it harder, harder to get a hold of police video as a result of that. Uh, we've got new riot laws, which I think are seem to be directed largely at black protesters as we allow white protests, uh, folks to carry AK-47s uh, wrapped around their shoulder, whatever those guns are. Um, we've got um, the, these essentially all-white legislative caucus telling the state of North Carolina how we can learn about race in our history. So uh, we've got uh, the legislature that has operated, this is just a a sort of starting front, I would say, uh, operated effectively as a white person's caucus. Uh, most of the time in the last 12 years, those the House and Senate Republican caucuses have gone into their meetings with no black uh, people uh, as part of the caucus. And they've governed like a white person's caucus as well in a great threat uh, our aspirations to the meaning of the Commonwealth uh, and and really to the history of North Carolina, which has, as you well know, been through bruising and horrifying battles on this front. And uh, I think most North Carolinians are not anxious to kind of formally re-embrace this notion of white supremacy and racial superiority. Yeah. So... Um, I think we've got we, we've made very potent mistakes on that front, and then the purpose of this book is to make the point that they bleed over into other areas, which deny equality, deny a commitment to democracy. I think hurt the rule of law and even hurt our foundational institutions that we try to put together to lift us up, like the public school system or the University of North Carolina. So that's a long... We've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, there we go. Uh, just before we uh, take a break and then talk some more about these things, important things that you are pointing out and worried about, on the other hand, notwithstanding all that the legislature has done, well, all that we have done as uh, through our representatives and through other things to try to block this oncoming movement towards equality, mm -hmm. notwithstanding the efforts to stop it. 
it moves on. I think, at least I'm an optimist, and I'm saying we're moving again, uh, put aside the legislature and those things that are really important. But nevertheless, our society is becoming less racist than it was when you and I were growing up. I think that's right. And I, I, uh, I think there are, despite these challenges, some bases for optimism. Uh, uh, to me, those come increasingly from what I think of as a kind of an engaged citizenry rather than traditional democratic politics or uh, I'm, I'm becoming immensely pessimistic about the legal system, sadly. Um, but uh, if you want to think about optimism for a second, just yeah, so do that. I want to, I want to see, I want to hear some optimism think, from well, you. Think about this. We had this vote in Kansas uh, uh-huh. over the. We'll describe that. That I remember. When, when, when the people in Kansas, uh, through the uh, initiative and referendum process, voted uh, very dramatically and by significant margins uh, to protect abortion rights, in, in a move that I think almost no one expected. Certainly, the Republicans mm-hmm. didn't expect it. But you know who I'm guessing expected at the least were Democratic consultants who said <laughs> you can't expect uh, any sort of uh, um, movement from the the citizens to protect uh, rights of academic, academic excuse me of uh, reproductive freedom on this front. It was a, a stunning uh, result. We just had something sort of similar on the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, where this. A liberal justice was elected and uh, through uh, changed the majority of the court by 11 points, uh, DG. When I was reading that in Wisconsin, the last, I think, four of the last six presidential elections were decided by less than 1%. I don't think anybody thought that was coming. Something is uh, uh, brewing and it uh, relates to uh, folks becoming impassioned about. Uh, their civil rights and secure in their democracy. These wonderful two young black legislators down in Tennessee, uh, who uh, well, I can the white girl too, the white woman too. Yeah, <laughs> no too, no too. But I mean, they got kicked out. She yeah. didn't get kicked yeah. out. But uh, I, I much admired her too. But the reaction of uh, their constituents, the uh, the courage that they indicated, you know, in the face of those. Legislators down there who seemed, they reminded me a little bit of some some of our legislators who seemed simply out of touch with uh, what century uh, they're living in. Uh, Even out in, what is it, Montana, where they just had this transgender uh, legislator stand up and rebuke uh, the rest of them. Of course, they kicked her out or they censured her in some way. But these are, to me, reflections of an emboldened citizenry saying we're not willing to give up on the American project yet. I, I know I'm talking too long. No, you're not talking too long, but uh, I got to take a break. Yeah. And uh, if you join us late, I'm visiting with Gene Nick, professor of law at the University of North Carolina Law School and author of a new book called Lessons from North Carolina. He and I'll be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin, and my guest is Gene Nickel, professor of the law at the UNC Law School, uh, former dean of the law school there, former president of William & Mary College, and 
so many th- and great football player. That's what I like the most about him. <laughs> None of my teammates would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so we're talking about his latest book, Lessons from North Carolina, and some of the issues that he's raised. And Gene, I guess before we finish, uh, I want to talk to you about the. Um, I don't want to uh, characterize it improperly as the threat to the University of North Carolina and the University of North Carolina system that is uh, on us because of the political situation in North Carolina. Um, Are you worried about it at all? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am uh, immensely worried about it, as much of the state is. Uh, The national uh, organizations have expressed worry over it. We've made headlines all over the world through our, effectively, our political interference with uh, a great university system. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure that the powers that be, in this case, I'd say the legislature and the, their appointees on the board of governors and the board of trustees, I think they think they can tamper with universities uh, at their pleasure. Uh, They can, in effect, run off or discourage professors that they don't like what they're saying. They can fire presidents and chancellors uh, for political reasons. They can appoint their own friends to what they assume are high-powered jobs. And that that will all be fine. It's, it's, they, they regard the university system as um, a sort of um, uh, one of their play toys uh, that they can use for their own politics and, um, and prerogative. And I, I think anyone who knows a good deal about higher education, and I've been uh, – fortunately, unfortunately, involved in it for a long time at a bunch of different levels uh, can attest that that's not the way it's going to work out. This constant interference by the legislature with utter disregard for academic freedom, with academic rigor, uh, academic standards will destroy what has been a priceless gem for the state of North Carolina so that the, I think the odd thing, DG, these people want to tamper relentlessly uh, with the university, but they still want their kids to be able to go to a great American university, one which, as Chapel Hill is, it seems to me, is one of the strongest public universities in the United States or on the, on the planet. Uh, they think they can tamper with it, make it to where now we've got a bill before the legislature that is going to do away with tenure, which would mean, regardless of what they think about it, that we could never again hire a strong faculty member. That's Why is a strong faculty member on a national market or an international market going to come to a place where he or she has no job security, no protection of academic freedom, and a history of abuse out of the powers that be. They can, they can talk about this how they want, but that will literally destroy. That would, would, because we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, optimists like me, 
uh, hope and believe that we will not do that. We will will not do that. I, right. I, I don't want to. Maybe by but the time I think, I by think this even, is broadcast, it will have been done. Even even um, uh, optimists like you, though, would say and would concede that if it did happen, if they passed right. this statute. It would uh, demolish the future prospects of the University of North Carolina. There are, and yet they, yeah, they think, seem oblivious to well, that. Well, I mean, say, there are, uh, well, credible people in the university system who communicate right. with uh, uh, the, the people who would take away two tenure if they have, who can explain to them. I hope that's true. I mean, I know there are people who uh, are engaged in such communications. I even used to, this is astonishing for people to believe, but I even used to be a university administrator myself and uh, can remember the days when if the legislature was going off the rail or something, um, uh, Bill Friday maybe would call and say, let's get together a few few folks and they would be, you know, Hugh McCall and... Uh, the the uh, the leading folks over at Duke Power or something, and they go down and meet with legislators and say, "Look, we're with you, folk, uh, but uh, don't do this. Don't do this. this. Don't do this." And they would listen. Um, but well, it's my understanding that that doesn't happen. It, it in doesn't. The way but that you've it got you've got um, you've got some people that your colleagues on the faculty, not all of them. Uh, um, appreciate some of the, I would say, conservatives who are in the leadership positions now who do appreciate that and have the confidence that people like you and I don't have of yeah. the legislators right. who can explain to them in, in the way that they will understand right. that that's a step too far. Yeah. Or yeah. at least that's my hope. I know go. there are some, and I hope they can prevail on this front. But I will say this. I've hoped it several times <laughs> over the last decade and haven't seen it. Like, come what to are pass. you? What, what? What do you mean? Where, where have they really? Uh, well, I've, where have they really I've, cut? I have some uh, modest aversion to a poverty center that they closed. That the, uh, do you have some the, personal interest? Yeah, in that. Some, <laughs> some personal experience in that front. Uh, they have uh, completely inappropriately uh, gutted the civil rights center uh, at the law school. They fired. Tom Ross, who was a great president, and they couldn't even tell us why. Uh, they uh, uh, denied tenure in the most internationally humiliating ways to uh, this great uh, journalism professor. Uh, uh, so uh, it's a long list. Uh, it's repeating. Uh, and they're increasingly... Tampering in the curriculum, which is is a no-go in American higher education. We've started hiring only, this is more controversial, only administrators who won't utter a whimper when they do one of these uh, transgressions because they assume they'll be fired if they speak up and uh, protect well, the values Jean, of to the To be university. fair, in, in public universities across the nation, that that situation has been and will continue to be as long as there's a partnership between legislative bodies and the management of the universities. It's 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 just a part of it. It's nothing new that you have this tension. It, it's, and, it's nothing new 
uh, and it's always true that public universities are going to have uh, threats of academic interference or that tension that you describe, so long as their budgets are controlled by uh, legislatures. But it's taken on an interesting or a, a worrisome cast, it seems to me, in the last dozen years. Uh, it is racialized. It is um, it, it shows no affection for or regard for the traditions of shared governance and academic um, freedom, which are central to universities. Uh, it seems like the, they think in the state house that we can just run this any way we want and there aren't going to be any repercussions from it. Uh, uh, and that's just simply not going to be the case. They don't think so, but ironically, American higher education is very competitive. Um, we've got uh, faculty members here and at other campuses across the UNC system who are offered jobs at other places all the time. It's our best people who will go the quickest because they have the most uh, opportunities. And and those people are not drawn to universities that are not going to protect academic freedom, that are going to uh, – they're going to put roadblocks to becoming diverse uh, institutions. And so what, what has been a long process of building up can be demolished in short order. I, we've talked about this some before. One well, one. You, 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 you have experienced this on both sides of being yeah. a faculty member or administrator. And when you were an administrator, did you have all these wild people on the faculty who pushed you to the— Sure, sure. <laughs> and wild people in the legislature and wild people yeah. on the, yeah. the board of governors. Um, but here's one. But but you but you had to develop a posture. Yes. Of of uh, let's be realistic. Yep. And I can't get everything, but if I'll talk to these people and 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 respectfully, I can get things done. You don't have that view anymore. Well, the I I I wasn't perhaps always successful <laughs> in that balance. Uh, but but here's what I think. I worry that we're losing and may have lost. Um, one of the luckiest turns in my life, when I came here, so 20 years ago or something, for some reason, I got taken in, taken under the wing of this group of astonishing people. Bill Friday, Bill Acock, mm. Dixon Phillips, Paul Harding, Dean Smith, who would come sometimes because Bill Friday and Bill Acock were there, his great uh, friends, uh, Barbie Taylor, uh, Chris Fordham, uh, Jewish Chambers. Um, and they would invite me to lunch and we'd go out and we – and I soon learned – This were, is when you were dean of the law yes, school. and I was still sort of youngish. Uh, I, I came to Carolina because I uh, admired it a great deal. I thought of it as the best public university that wanted to be a public university. But I didn't – I wasn't fully steeped in this astonishing history. Those – and I realized slowly those great figures were teaching me. They didn't, they didn't preach at me. They were just teaching me what it meant to be uh, – 
uh, a Tar Heel, what it meant to be mm-hmm. part of the legacy of this great place, which they had dedicated their whole lives to uh, in an effort to lift the fortunes of this state. You know, uh, what most of them all had in common was they had been in World War II. They'd come as mm-hmm. young guys. They'd come back and then uh, returned to their state. They looked around and were... Um, disheartened by a lot of the challenges of North Carolina. You, you know, like uh, as patriotic as North Carolina is, we had more people uh, disqualified from uh, military service during World War II than anybody else. Their reaction was to build a hospital, a university hospital system. They were all acolytes of Frank Graham. Uh, I never got to meet Dr. Graham, but I have studied mm-hmm. him to beat the band. And what I'd, maybe this is a way of putting it, D.G. Um, I, I was very lucky to become very close with Bill Friday and Bill Aycock. At the end of their lives, they both worried that this contribution which they had made with their whole experience, um, dedicated their whole lives to, was in the balance. And they would both say it can take generations to build an institution and you can sort of flitter it away in very short order. I I fear that that's happening here well, and that uh, I worry that not enough North Carolinians understand it. Um, they think it'll just be fine, but uh, I think it may likely not be fine and it is going to require a sort of jolting on our part, a, a reawakening to do something about our uh, imperiled fortunes. If you join us late, I'm visiting with Gene Nickel. We're talking around and about his new book, Lessons for North Carolina, Race, Religion, Tribe, and the Future of America. And he and I will be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking? This is D.G. Martin. I'm visiting with Gene Nickel. Uh, Gene Nickel is the author of a new book, Lessons from North Carolina, Race, Religion, Tribe, and the Future of America. But we're talking about that book and other things that have come up because of the book, in my mind, but because, uh, Gene, you've been worried about them for a long time. I have. I have. I've uh, been involved in them uh, somewhat. I had a bruise or two as a result of it. But, uh, you know, I I was thinking, I was talking to someone about this um, when I was young, when I went to law school, uh, I was sort of lost uh, in law school the first semester. I thought I'd, I'd been a philosophy major in undergraduate school, a, a very odd combination. Of, there were no other philosophy majors on the football team at Oklahoma State. And I had thought that law, I worried, was kind of the unexamined life until second semester of law school, I studied constitutional law and became kind of an equality junkie early on. Um, and in my view, I've, I've been blessed to do a whole lot of different kind of things. I've been a, uh, a trial lawyer and a, a sort of a, a constitutional litigator. Uh, I've been a professor who wrote for fancy uh, law journals, and I've been a dean and a, a sort of short-lived uh, president. Uh, I've done politics. Um, I've written a lot in the public arena, 
And all of those things to me turn on this uh, marvelous American value of equality and the unfolding of this combination of liberty and equality, what Lincoln referred to as the primary cause uh, of America, liberty to all. I've, I feel like I've gotten, the, I've been lucky to work on that, on those issues in a whole bunch of different venues uh, for a very long time. And uh, that's meant that I've uh, uh, enjoyed my work a lot, been Lifted up some by it. I've been bruised some. Well, I think I think when when the but grading this is not my first rodeo. No, yeah, when the grading is done. Yeah, I just you know we don't know how you what what history will say about you, but right. um, my my thinking is well, that I think you're I'm pretty sure history's not going to say very much. No, about I, mean, period. I think I think you're going to be in there with uh, Frank Porter Graham, with Bill Friday, with uh, uh, Chancellor Acock, and um, no, I will not be. But I will say. Those are icons. Well, th- th- they are great yeah. her- heroes. I'm here's not. what here's where you differ. I think, mm-hmm. and it, it, I'd like, yeah, let's talk about it. In the sense that those guys had the, um, they would they could bite their lip, yeah, and go talk to anybody in the legislature, in the business community, in in the most hateful of uh, racist right. people, Jesse Helms, and they could go talk to him and find, look for common ground to work on, and. Um, if you've got a weakness, it is probably that that's hard for you to do. <laughs> they were wiser. They were wiser. Um, I don't doubt that at all. Um, here's what I would say, not in defense, uh, but that the times are different uh, in, a, in a powerful way. And what I have found in my old age that I'm unwilling to, um, to go along with or, or to— uh, deny, however you, however you appropriately cast it. Uh, I think it, it doesn't help us to ignore or to deny the power of the challenges that we face. Now, uh, Bill Friday was the president of the university and uh, Bill Aycock was the chancellor. Uh, no one who knows me believes it much, but when I was in those kind of positions— I tempered myself some as well. <laughs> no, I do believe it. Um, uh, now I don't. Um, but I'm a professor. I'm a, uh, one who engages in public discourse. I have the powerful luxury. I'm also old. I'm not ambitious anymore. And you have this idea I, of tenure that they're trying right. to take away well, from that's, you. That's what I've told people. I said, look— some people will occasionally say mistakenly, look, you're courageous when you do this or that. I say, no one, nothing takes less courage than being a tenured law professor. Nothing. Uh, even a tenured federal judge, uh, nothing takes less courage than doing uh, what I do. Uh, so that I, I decided some time ago, now it's a long time ago now, 20, 30 years, uh, that I have the luxury of being able to uh, describe things as I see them, as I understand. I don't, uh, I don't do it uh, deceptively. I don't mean to. I understand some folks uh, may think that. I try to do it uh, as a solid lawyer would. But I've also, over the last twenty years, sort of learned to speak in public, or that is, to a public audience, 
Uh, I'm no longer, I, when I was a kid, I used to write for the Harvard Law Review and stuff, and you would write these things, and it would be great for your career, and then you'd get, I don't know, three grudging notes from people around the United States who didn't want to read it in the first place, and I go back and read it, like I see why they didn't want to read it in the first place. And uh, so I believe very much in this sense of public engagement. I, I, I think this, is a, here's a way of putting it, I'm an academic by training and temperament, but in my judgment, being in North Carolina as an engaged citizen requires one to become a practitioner a little bit. Uh, and I've become a practitioner a little bit. A practitioner uh, of what? A practitioner of constitutional law in the public arena rather than uh -huh. in the only uh, in the uh, academic uh, journals and the like. And I have... Uh, I've I've been lucky to have avenues to do that, uh, and I believe in that work. I believe in North Carolina's uh, mission to become uh, a great commonwealth consistent with the values that those folks that I sort of listed off to you have uh, announced for us. And so I'm just trying to play my small part in that Long, stretching, arching <laughs> battle. Battle. Let's take a break. Okay. I'm visiting with Gene Nickel, and we're talking about uh, topics that arise because he has just uh, published his latest book, Lessons from North Carolina, Race, Religion, Tribe, and the Future of America. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin, and I'm visiting with Gene Nichol, who's the author of a new book, Lessons for North Carolina. Gene, thanks for coming. We've just got a few minutes. What 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 have we not talked about that we need to talk about? <laughs> well, there's, uh, there's probably uh, more than one thing that we could uh, talk about. Uh, but uh, the thing I have on my mind right this week, as most, as many North Carolinians do, I think, is that this battle against democracy and equality uh, against the sort of safeguards of our constitutional system continues to flare uh, in North Carolina. Um, we've, right now, it's got this going on. The legislature is working hard to uh, diminish the powers of the executive branch. That's one of the ways of thwarting the checks and balances of our System, you know, they're um, uh, moving in to, uh, quickly, taking away appointment powers from the governor. Something we've seen them do before, which, as I try to remind people, violates one of the first premises of democracy. That is, if you lose, you lose an election, you don't burn down the state house, you don't uh, uh, bomb the governor's mansion. Uh, you don't try to destroy the other branch of government because you didn't win the governor's race, for example. You gather up your wits about you, you organize again, you think about the mistakes you made last time, and you decide to uh, work hard and, and come at it a second time. That's what we do in a democracy. We don't dismantle the elections or the other branches of government, which... Uh, uh, because they didn't have our favored candidate. Uh, 
that that's happening here. Um, secondly, uh, heartbreakingly, my guess, or to me and a lot of folks in North Carolina, we've we've seen this stoutest uh, of crusades against democracy in North Carolina with the gerrymandering, with the restrictions on the right to vote, both racialized and political. Um, we've had some modest success, thankfully, in pushing back at that through the courts. Um, a lot of our worst transgressions, it seems to me, have been uh, turned aside. But now, in the last uh, few weeks, we've seen the North Carolina Supreme Court kind of lock hands and join arms with uh, the Republican General Assembly in this uh, move to diminish, in ways we were talking about at first, the operation of the North Carolina democracy. They worry about the future, the, like you said, maybe the numbers being against it or the tides of history. And so the way to combat that is to cheat in the electoral system. Um, they, Our legislature has been one of the best at that, uh, sort of masters, uh, and now they've gotten the go-ahead from a, an intensely politicized and non-legal North Carolina Supreme Court. And then third, in this unseemly way, we've decided to go back to this thing of surveying the landscape, finding the people who are most vulnerable in our society, and targeted them, uh, making life more difficult for them. What do we have now? Uh, eight or ten bills in the legislature aimed at uh, transgendered kids, largely. Uh, you think you would be embarrassed uh, that this was your goal as a, a North Carolina public servant. I want to torment uh, transgender kids uh, in the state of North Carolina. My God, what do you say to your family when you go home and they ask you what your life's work is? Uh, so I would just <laughs> close out by saying these uh, transgressions that I've worried about in this book and in the, the last two uh, uh, have not dissipated and they uh, remain our challenge uh, for the years and months ahead. Well, we just got a minute or two. So to, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> I was just talking to my wife about that this morning. <laughs> uh, I am uh, I, I'm a teacher. I'm a full-time teacher. Uh, I love teaching. Uh, uh, thankfully, for the most part, my students tend to uh, regard the circumstance as a congenial one. <laughs> and so uh, I'm going to keep teaching. Um, and there's there's no, you're not worried about any uh, of the political operatives in state government of taking that privilege away from you? Well, there's been a lot of efforts. <laughs> I, and, we haven't got time. I'm and sorry. I'm just guessing, DJ, if they could have done it, they, they would have <laughs> done it by now. It hadn't been for lack of trying. Um but I, I, I try to remind them. I said, you know, it's there's, I'm 72 years old. This ain't going to go on much longer. So you guys just wait me out. I'm best. I'm best being ignored. That's what I try to tell my Republican adversaries. You fare better when you just leave the cranky old bastard alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope to have that cranky old person around for a long time. Uh, Gene Nichols, thanks for your book, Lessons from North Carolina: Race, Religion, Tribe, and the Future of America. And a lot more. 
we could have talked about, but thanks for thanks being for, a stimulating for guest all I the way through. It. I appreciate it. It's great to talk to you always. Sometime you'll come back. And uh, thanks all y'all for listening. Uh, this is D.G. Martin, Who's Talking, and I'll be back here before you know it.